Welcome everybody into this year. I don't see this working. Something is not working right. Hold on a minute. The people cannot see me. There I am. Okay. Now they can. I'm getting to figure this out. Yeah, plug it and play. Where does it go on the side? Pashas Matos, Matos and Masa are most commonly together. This year they are separate. And by being separate, it's not Pashas Chazak. <laughs> That's a very soft way of putting it. It's not Pashas Chazak. Pashas Matos, though, starts off with a very, very interesting set of laws. The laws of promising, of oath, making an oath. Um, taking an oath there are many many different laws that involve this and it's very interesting to note that a person can take an oath and have their oath nullified have their oath nullified to an extent that it's worthless <clears throat> how would this happen if a woman or a girl in the house of the husband of the father makes an edem, makes takes an oath, and the father says, no, I do not accept it, I do not allow this, then this is an old. If, however, a person in their lifetime kept to every oath they ever made and never looked, never seeked to have their oath annulled, they come to a, it comes to a very, very high level. And we see such a, such a case in Gemara in the Sechtsubis. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was about to die and the Malach Mavis picked him up and showed him where he's going to be in Gan Eden. He showed Yeshua ben Levi where his place is in Gan Eden. So Yeshua ben Levi immediately jumped over the wall and jumped into Gan Eden and the Malach Mavis cannot come into Gan Eden. So he had a problem. And Yeshua ben Levi said, I swear I'm not going back. 
They didn't know what to do. So they went to God, and God said, check, if he never swore, never had an oath annulled throughout his lifetime, then we won't annul this one either. And they checked, and they never did have, and therefore, since he held according to this halacha, which is not necessarily the way the halacha has to be, but since he did keep to this always, so therefore Yeshua was allowed to stay in Gan Eden. Um, and we find that if a girl, as we said now places an oath So the Shaila becomes, what happens? Pasuk reads, V'imheni avia Esa, B'yem Shammai Kona Zerao, V'Zerao, Asherao Sa'am Nafsha, L'Yokum. That if her father restrained her on the day of hearing this prohibition, this oath, and she established, that she established upon herself, and it does not stand therefore, and God forgives her. Why? Because her father restrained her. Smiris. So the question is, what is God forgiving her for? What is God forgiving her for? If she didn't do anything wrong. She made an oath, the father nullified it. What does God have to forgive her for? The Gemara tells us that this refers to a girl that vowed not to do something and then decided to go against her promise and did it. However, the father nullified it and she didn't know it. So the father nullified and she didn't know it. So technically, she didn't sin. She didn't sin. So that's the case. What does God have to forgive her for? And the Gemara tells us when Rabbi Akiva used to study this Pasuk, he would cry. And he would say this is like somebody who thinks he's eating pork, but really it's kosher meat. 
In such an instance, the person needs kapara, he needs to be forgiven. So how much more so if the person actually carries out what they wanted to do? So if, Zerubakiva is saying that if a person didn't do a sin, If the person didn't do a sin, but the person intended for it to be a sin, then the person has to do tshuva. We're going to be discussing tonight the parsha, the oaths, and the other parts of this week's parsha. And because it's now the three weeks, we're also going to be discussing Hilchas Beis Abachira, the laws pertaining to the Beis Hamidash. And the Rebbe spoke that there are three things that should be studied during these three weeks. One is Mishnayis Midas, which talks about this building, of the, about the structure of the Beis Hamidash. One is Navi Yecheskel, where it talks about the Nevuah of Bayesh Lishi. And the third is the Rambam Hilchus Beis Abachira, which again refers to Bayesh So the question here is, why did Rabbi Kiva cry? And why did he compare this to somebody who thought he was eating pork and was really eating kosher? Now we all know the famous story of the Sarvega Malchus, of the ten people that the Roman emperor, the Roman government, the king decided to punish. Why was he punishing them? He called them in and he asked them, what is the punishment for kidnapping a fellow Jew? And their answer was, the person has to be put to death. And he asked, who was put to death for kidnapping and selling Yosef? Now, at the time we know that Yosef was sold, there were only nine brothers there. Because Reuven had gone home. Yosef was being sold. And Binyamin was a baby. Let's get some seeds. So therefore, there were only nine brothers selling so where is the tenth one? Hey, this is open. You open it? Goodbye, world. So Nessens... There's only nine. Why did he call in ten? We've spoken many times about this. Each one of the brothers was represented in these ten people. In order for them to have a tenth one, 
they were mitzvah of David, they called in God. Rabbi Akiva, coming, stemming from converts, did not come from any one of these Fatim. Therefore, he was chosen as number 10, representing God. Um, and he saw in his Ruach HaKadosh that this was going to be his fate. And therefore, he would pray always that perhaps God would forgive. And as Yosef tells his brothers when they come down to Egypt, ultimately, what you did was God's will. It was so much so that it was God's will that it, it turned out that you were brought down to Egypt and you came down to Egypt for a reason, so that to be everything that had to transpire here was because of the selling. So therefore. Rabbi Akiva always thought, perhaps, perhaps God would say, okay, since this was what ultimately had to happen, it was not intention of malintent, so therefore it would be forgiven. And the decree would be nullified. For this, he always cried. The end of the Pasha the land is being divided begins talking about the Nakhla the inheritance of the land Shevet Ruben Shevet God and half of Shevet Menashe stay on the eastern side of the Yardin. They don't cross over. Question is, why? What were they thinking? So the truth of the matter is, it was on their request that they said they wanted to stay on this side. problem is what were they thinking when they said that A and B they were punished for it what was the punishment they ended up going into exile 8 years before everybody else so what was the punishment for they were granted this land by Moshe Kajan Zemagid was a very, very holy Jew. There are many different stories and expressions that Kajan Zemagid was quoted. One of the famous, famous expressions, one of the famous lessons that Kajan Zemagid said was what you see something about a person if you something, see something wrong on another person, then ultimately that flaw is within you. 
within you. The famous story of Shvad's Wolf, which I've told before, a very emotional story though. A chassid of the Kajan Samagid was not blessed with children. I have a, a uh, enigma with these things, with the people not blessed with children. It, it hurts me to no end. I can't bear the thought of, God forbid, a couple not having children. And he came to the Kajan Zabagin, and the Kajan Zabagin told him, I cannot help you. He needs to say that he, this guy must have felt like. Kajan Zabagin told him, you go to the forest. There you'll find a Jew whose name is Shvad's Wolf. Shvad's wolf is the only one that's capable of giving you a bracha for this. But I highly recommend you get there for Shabbos. You can only see Shvad's wolf on Shabbos. Otherwise, he's not home. And the Kajar Zemagin reminded him, <coughs> if you see anything wrong with somebody else, that's what's wrong with you. fellow inquired about Schwarzwolf and found out he was not a very amicable person. See, Nat would like that word. Incidentally, tonight's year is in honor of the Nishmas Rachel Basar Sarah Schlossberg's mother. Today, the Kitzer, he found out that Schwarzwolf was not a very nice guy, and very not nice guy was was, was putting it easy, putting it lightly. He was downright dangerous. He was a woodchopper, a very very rough fellow. Bye, Yain. and it was Erev Shabbos, and he waited till pretty close to Shabbos where there was a point of no return he took some wine and chalice with him in case and he knocks on the door and Schwarzwald's wife opens the door and the children are running around and he was disgusted with what he saw the wife was so ugly the children looked like little creatures the house was, was disgusting And he said, I was wandering in the forest. I'm stuck here now for Shabbos. I don't know where to be for Shabbos. Could you have me? She started to scream. Are you off your mind? Shvaz Wolf will be here any minute. He sees you here. He's going to chop your head off. She says, listen. He says, but where am I going to What am I going to do about Shabbos? She says, I have a barn. I'll do you a favor. I'll put you in the barn. But don't make noise. If Shvaz Wolf knows you're there, you're finished. They open the sun Kitzer, he sat in the barn, and he's trembling, 
as he hears the voice of Schwarz Wolf bouncing through the forest. And Schwarz Wolf goes into the house and he's sitting in the barn, trembling. And he sees the night's settling. Stars are out. Shabbos is coming. And the Kajas of told him that he recommends he sees to do this before on this Shabbos. His Shabbos came in, he davens. Was comfortable with us to daven with the horses in the, stand, in the barn. And he takes out his wine, makes Kiddush. He finds some water to wash, and he makes some mitzi. And this is his Suda Shabbos for the night. It was not Enoch Shabbos, he was not a happy fellow. He cried. He cried till he fell asleep. Early morning, again he hears the gruff voice of Schwarz Wolf. He was petrified. Is he coming here to the barn? Schwarz Wolf must have gone off to Daven. Wherever it is that he Davens. And he sat there and he Davened himself now in the barn again. No minion, no Kriya, no anything. With a broken heart. He finishes davening. He hears Schwarzwolf returning. He's trying to figure out how could this gruff fellow have a bracha for him? How could he bless him? And makes his Kiddush again, makes his Maitzi, he tries to sing some Shabbos Miras and he starts to cry, and he cries and he cries and he cries for his woeful life, spending Shabbos in a barn, and to top everything off, the Rebbe told him that this is the only time that he'd be able to give a blessing for a child, and what will become of him. Shabbos starts to come to an end, the sun is starting to set, this is not a good happening thing finally as he's sitting there crying oblivious to what's going on around him he feels a hand on his shoulder he freezes and he turns and he sees standing there kind, compassionate eyes, this young, beautiful face, Schwarzwolf. The Bidi says, won't you join me for Sudash Lishit for Shalashudas? The man didn't know what to say. The Chassid stood up and he followed Schwarzwolf to the house and he reminded himself what he saw Arab Shabbos the wife of those children and that house, he's going to go in there now. 
door opens up, the house is unbelievable. The wife looks like a queen, and the children were like princes and prin- princes and princesses. And immediately realized, Kajas Maga told him, if you see somebody else being ugly, because your inside is ugly. And therefore, he had to purify himself. Which is what he did, crying his whole Shabbos long. To such an extent, and now he saw their true beauty. And sat down with him, and they washed. They had a fantastic sudashli sheet, not just a piece of herring and a boiled potato. And um, they sang some songs, and finally Schwarzwald said to him, I know why you're here. You came for a bracha. I will give you a bracha on a condition. The condition is you name the child after me. Schwarzwald, the man was shocked. He says to Schwarzwald, you're such a young man. How, how, we don't name after live people. This is my condition. You ready to take it? Good, not, not. He accepted it. They benched. He gave him the bracha. They benched. The chassid went home. Chassan came to the town, the local town, and the next morning, he comes into shul and he sees the shamans is running around, asking people, and people are refusing. Asking people, people are refusing. He asks, "What's going on?" Shama said, "There's a levaya. We need people to help." And who's Leviah? It's a Shabbat's wolf. At this point, he got up and he announced to the people they should understand who Shabbat's wolf really is. He's from the Lamed Vav Hidden Tzadikim, the 36 Hidden Tzadikim. And the respect should be shown as such. And a lady had a child which he called Shabbat's wolf. I think after the war, at 48, I think it was the Belza or the Gedev, I'm not sure which Rebbe it was, had a custom on Friday night by the Tish. People would come over and say the Chaim, and they would say their name and their father's name. So an old, decrepit man was brought forth to the man, to the Rebbe, he came to say the Chaim and he said, Schwarz Wolf Ben. The Rebbe looked up at him and asked him, so he said, he's a grandson of that child that was born from the blessing of Schwarz Wolf. Wow. And he was in his 90s. He's a grandson. 
So we see that the brachas are not something to be taken lightly. But back to what I really wanted to tell you about the kosher samagid. Which is more relevant to what we're talking about now, Pasha. Our person has to be careful what they say. And they make a nether. It was Matzah Shabbos, the cousin Zemagid had gone out with his chassidim to do Kiddush Levana. And Kiddush Levana, uh, stupid thing died. Uh, it dies a little. Is the problem with the skull? Hold on, we'll try to get it back. Maybe you have a problem with the network. It's got used to You know that Google now is a big mess. Gmail, you have two Gmail accounts. All of a sudden, you can't have two uh, office um, mail is Gmail based on Gmail. Mm-hmm. But if you open another Gmail account, but my personal at the same time, yeah, you have to sign off one of them. Otherwise, it's. Oh, yeah, I heard that thing. Anyway, right, right, right. Because Mori said that he was having a problem. Anyway, Kodesh Zemagin came out with the chassidim to do Kiddush Nevana, and it's Matzah Shabbos. So if you're doing Matzah Shabbos, everybody's in their shtreimelach and in their kapot and bekishes and everything. It's an amazing sight. The hundreds of chassidim standing together, and there was a band of thieves, of robbers that were riding by the town, and they saw this beautiful sight. And they said, oh, these people look very wealthy. They look like we got a nice prey here. And they decided to descend upon this assemblage. And they started to yell and scream. And as the Eden heard the people coming, they all started to disperse. Now, the Eden were light-footed because they were all empty pockets because Shabbos, they don't carry anything. So they were able to get out of there fast enough. The only one that didn't move, because <coughs> he was still saying Kirshavara, was the Kajan Samagin himself. When they arrive there, they all see this old, frail man standing there, and he's praying. The chief of the gang decided that uh, he's going to teach this guy something. And the chief of the gang comes forth. And he says, he starts to scream, to yell, try to frighten, to intimidate. The is not moving. He got so infuriated, he lifted his hand to punch the Magid in the face, and he froze. He froze. He froze to such an extent that his hands felt limp. He couldn't talk, he couldn't do anything, he just fell to the ground. Meantime, the Magid finished Kirzdavara, and he went back to Shul, to home. The whole band of robbers saw what happened to their chief. They all ran over to try to get him to stand. They saw that it was hopeless. They realized they better find this guy quick and un- get this undone. They went running from house to house till they found the Kajan Samagat. And they came into the Kajan Samagat and they told him, what, you know, you gotta, you gotta reverse this, you gotta... So the Magad said, if you get him to promise that he will never hurt a Jew again, 
then the curse will reverse. So they ran back and they told them what the Maggid said. Told them what the Maggid said. But they said, no, they said, okay, we promise, we guarantee for him. He said, no, no, no. I got to hear him say it. He said, but he can't walk. You can't, you get him back here. So they ran back and they carried him, 15, whatever, everybody to pick this guy up, this big job. And they carried him to the Maggid. And the Maggid said, you promise? He's barely able to talk and get out the words, yes, I promise, I will never hurt another Jew. And that was the end. The guy picked himself up, and they hobbled him out of there. And this band of robbers didn't stop doing their business, but they would never do a Jew again. They would never hurt a Jew again. So much so that if they came to a town and found out that Jews were robbed, they found the robbers and they stole back the stuff from the Jews. Years later, the fellow retired, the chief, and he went off to a forest. He lived in the forest for many years. The story goes, and many years later he showed up by the Magid again, and he came and he asked the Magid for a bracha to be, so he'd be able to be Megayer. He wanted to convert. So we see the, prob- the, the, the greatness of, of watching how a person talks, how important it is for a person to watch what they're saying. B'nai Rubin and B'nai God had a lot of a lot of sheep. And because they had a very big flock, that's why they wanted to stay on the other side of the Yardin. But as we said before, they were punished, and they ended up going into Gullus eight years earlier. And the Pasuk that Shleim HaMelech says, Nachla Mivaychelas that the inheritance that was seized hastily in the beginning in the end is not going to be blessed and the word is written with a ches although it should be quickly And one of the reasons written with a ches to show that they're going to go into they went into exile eight years earlier. Now the truth being told, <coughs> Moshe had an agreement with Bnei God and Bnei Ruvain. They should join conquering the land. And not only did they comply with that, they stayed seven years until the land was divided up to make sure everything was okay before they went back. So why were they punished? Part of the reason for their punishment they neglected education. They neglected education in that and this is something that today's generation is slightly suffering from as well. There's no comparison. Listening, hearing is hearing is seeing is believing. When you hear something, 
You hear about it. Until you don't see it, it doesn't have such an effect. When a person sees a miracle happen, sees a ness happen, sees a Rebbe make a Mephis, it's very, very impressive. It's very impressive. And it makes an impression on the person. B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain had a very interesting proposition. They set up home on the other side of the Yardin. Their wife and children stayed home and they went to, to sell to battle. Very nice of them, very kind of them. <coughs> but all the miracles that took place in Etzisel with the conquering, their children did not witness. They did not see it. They heard about it later, but they didn't see it. And therefore, in that, depriving their children from being exposed to the of a miracle. And thereby, taking away from their chenuch, and therefore they were punished by going out of into Golis eight years earlier. Also, someone wants to say that Mechelis is with a Ches, because Ches starts with the word Chinuch. Chinuch starts with a Ches. But the fact of the matter is, though, Moshe asks a very interesting question to them. Your brothers are going to battle and you're going to sit here. So the question is, of course, if they were not going to live there, why should they fight? The answer is, this is what Judaism is all about. This is what Yiddishkeit is all about. This is what Yidin are all about. That even though the Jews are separated, they're dispersed all over the world, psychologically, and in different lifestyles, But still in all, when there's a misfortune amongst the Jewish nation, everybody unites. Everybody comes together. Moshe was not asking them, how are you not going to come to fight? Moshe was asking them, how are you going to sleep at night if you're not going to be in the battle? Knowing that your brothers are going through, how are you going to sleep at night? This morning, an unbelievable thing happened in Florida. A couple, Mr. and Mrs. Rotsky, made a bris for their son. They called the boy Israel Leib. He said, huh? His name was Yehuda. But they wanted to be, they wish you know Leib. They wanted him to know his Leib. And they said, give me a son kiss. And they said, Sunkist. They said because 
they were in the delivery room, they found out this story. This child was found dead. So they said, oh, and their son came into the world when this child left. Therefore, to perpetuate the child's name, they named their child. We see a lot of nachas for him. Tesis, Gimara Menachas, Lamazayan Mralev, quotes a medish of the story of a two headed man. He married a regular woman. He had one child regular, and one child two headed. Achameyavesim, the two-headed child came and said he wanted a double Yerusha. Wanted an inheritance, double portion. And they went to Shleim HaMelech. And Shleim HaMelech said, cover over one head, and pour boiling water on the other one. And they poured the boiling water on the other head, and both heads screamed. Thereby proving that they're in essence one. And this is the Jewish nation. Come what may, no matter what it might be, you cannot divide, you cannot separate Jews one from another. And when God comes and says, Moshe actually came and said that Reuben and God are not going to be able to occupy this whole land. So who else volunteers? And Shev Menashe volunteered to half of their Shevet to join. Why Menashe? Menashe was Menashe ben Yosef, Pasek says. Because Menashe was known to be very, very fond of the land of Israel. To want to live in the land of Israel. As we see that it was Menashe ben Yosef, or from Shev Menashe, and they said our father died, we did not have an inheritance. Navi Yecheskel had an interesting experience. He had a trip. He was tripping. In the tripping, a Malach took him on a journey and landed him in Yerushalayim. And the Malach takes him for a tour of the Bayesh Lishi. <coughs> For a tour, a virtual tour of the Beis he takes them from room to room with a measuring stick and with a thread. And he measures off everything that's in the Beis and gives them exact dimensions to what's going on. And he tells him, the reason I'm doing this is you should tell this to the Jews. He says to him, See with your eyes. And hear with your ears. 
and pay attention to the because I'm showing because I'm showing this to you. And the boss saying, I brought you here. Hagid is today on the basis of tell this to the Jews that you've seen all this. And Rashi tells us, the Persian tells us, this is so they should be appeased. There should be condolences to the Jews, knowing that although the Beis Hamidrash was destroyed, there's a Bayashlishi looming. And therefore, we know that we're going to get out of Golos. Mishnayis Midas, which talks about the Beis Hamidrash, basically is quoted from Elazar ben Yaakov. He was the Tana that pretty much remembered exactly what was going on. So much so that there's a Mishnah in Perik Beis where it discusses the different rooms that were there, time. And he says, this one was this, this was that. And the one, Marav is Dremis, the one that was south, southwest, I forgot what they used it for. And since we're relying on him to tell us what each thing was for, there's another Tana that does follow up with what it says. But a very interesting thing, everyone that went into Harabayas had to go in from the right side. Unless something was wrong with you. Unless something is wrong with you? Yeah, we're going to soon describe. The mission says as follows. Someone that ha- something happened to him. the smell. He goes from the left side. What happened here that he had to go from the left side? The guy, excuse me. They asked him why are you coming from the left side, and he would say, "Shani Ovel, I'm a mourner." And the mourners could not come from the right; they had to go from the left. So they would answer him. Sorry. The one that dwells in this house should condole you. Should give you condolences. What happens if the guy answers Shani Menuda? I am a person that was excommunicated. They would answer one of two things. They would answer as follows: As Sheikh in the Bais Hazeh, Yitain belibom v'yekarvucha. The one who rests in this house should give into their heart, and they should bring you closer. Dear Reb Meir, these are the words of Reb Meir. Almo le Reb Yosi. Reb Yosi says to Reb Meir, "What are you doing?" Asisen, you're making ki'ilu avru olav esadim. You're making it sound like this guy was framed. Like they, they are castigating him for nothing. And therefore, he says, Ella, what should they really say? Ha-sheichem yitn The one who rests in this house should put into your heart Listen to the words of you. What is their argument? The argument is a simple one. 
And the argument is time in history, and not only time in history, but pretty much the downfall of what we go through today. Rabbi Meir, the Meir is a lesson of light, of giving light, says that a person cannot possibly do something wrong. Don't, he doesn't, doesn't accept it. He doesn't accept that a person did something so severe that he should be a minute. And therefore, he says the Lushan that Bezdin should find in their heart to forgive you. Rabbi Yaisi says no. It's doable, it's, it's acceptable, it's plausible that a person, God forbid, did Avera. Plausible, it's possible. Choliot. Mikubal. Mikubal. Aval. But. His surroundings are what's at fault. It's not the Rabbanim. Don't blame it on the Rav. Don't blame it on the Rabbanim. Don't blame it on the Bezdin. Blame it on the people. On your local people that you're around, that hang with you, that your friends, and that sit with you, and fabring with you. They are the ones that should see to it that they bring out the words properly. You should hear them, and you should be able to be brought closer to God. This is the main crux of the problem that people have. Where they allow themselves to be influenced by whatever goes easier. And needless to say, everyone knows that the not good is going to go easier than the good. And therefore, whereas they have the influence from people that are righteous, and they have the influence from people that are good, and people that can advise them properly and set them in the right path, they will always take the bad news over the good news. <coughs> this is therefore, Rabbi Yaisi says, and he argues with Rabbi and he says, Rabbi don't only think that the Rabbanim are the only ones that have to educate. The person has to be self-educated as well. The person has to find within himself also inner strength that will bring about the concept of being able to do tshuva, that will bring about the concept of being able to become a better person. Also we learn in the Hilchus Beis Abkhir and the Rambam. Hilchus Beis Abkhir and Rambam gives us as well the laws that go on in the Beis Hamikdash, and of course talking about Bayesheni, of course, because Rambam did not have did not use a prophecy to talk about the future Bayeshtishi. There was a worm that was used to slice through the stones, the shamir. But otherwise, you were not allowed to hack out stones, especially not in Harabayas. And they should not have been done with metal. Stones that are used for the Mizbeach cannot be done with metal. But a very interesting halacha, in Perek Aleph Halacha Yud, Umeratzvin Eskol Azara Bavana Mikares. Now, interestingly, because the Ramam uses 
Avanim Yikarais in the Halacha Ches, and the Cheder that talks about heavy stones, and here it talks about precious stones. The floor is made of precious stones. Vim Nekra Evan. If a stone comes loose from its spot, even though it's still in the slot that it's in, it becomes puzzle. How puzzle does this stone on the floor become? So the Rambam says, the the Kayan that's doing the Aveda may not stand on that stone when he's doing the Aveda because if he does, he's not in the base of English. Ad Shetikva Ba'aretz until it becomes again firm in the ground. And Evan is basically it's a, a, a daimim. It doesn't have any spiritual in the four realms of the daimim tzemeh chayim medaber the daimim is the lowest species the daimim being something that does not talk does not exist does not coexist does not live does not breathe does not grow and yet the daimim has such control over us that if we are standing on a on a non-secure stone, then the person cannot serve, the, the, the client cannot serve. And so too is in our own life, that we must stand on solid ground at all times. In order to serve Hashem, the person has to be standing on solid ground. Does that mean that everything has to be perfect? No. The famous story of a, a girl that wanted to marry, and she was from a religious family, wanted to marry a boy that was not religious. And they came to Yechidus and the Rebbe. They were from Brazil. And the Rebbe sat with them at 3 o'clock in the morning, they got into the Rebbe. And she cried out, her, they, they took, took a few minutes till they figured out what language they're going to talk that everybody should understand. And they came to German. And she told the Rebbe her problem. That he want, he'll, he'll do whatever he has to do. And the Rebbe told her, words are good, promises are good, but until he doesn't see what it means to do what he has to do, he can't take on such a promise. He can't make such a commitment. So he should go, the Rebbe said, to a Frum house and live with Frum people, live a Frum life for a few months. And then if he's prepared to commit himself to such a lifestyle, then you're talking about something else. Then, the person that brought him into the Rebbe was a local person here, a relative, and everybody was leaving the room except for him because he had a few things private to discuss with the Rebbe. And as everybody had left the room, this is already 3.30 in the morning, and the Rebbe's been seeing people since quite a few hours already, he wanted to ask the Rebbe something, and the Rebbe said, wait, don't say a word, call her back. The Rebbe called back the girl. The Rebbe said, I'm going to be talking to him in Yiddish, which I hope you'll be able to understand. Mm. But I want you to be here 
you shouldn't think that I'm talking behind your back. The Rebbe was so sensitive to the girl's feelings, she shouldn't have even a thought that the Rebbe was talking behind her back. Therefore, although this is private, this person wanted to discuss with him. Since she was here, and she might think now that Rebbe is trying to she wanted, the Rebbe wanted to be clean with this and make sure that it's done. This is called, the Rebbe says, true foundation. The person has to know on what solid ground they stand. And when one doesn't stand on solid ground, the Ramam says, their service is false. It's worthless. We cannot accept their service. This is what we have to see to do in the three weeks to set up our Migdash Ma'at. Thus, the Migdash Rishachanti B'Seicham between, within each and every one of us is a Migdash Ma'at. And we have to establish that Migdash Ma'at to an extent that this concrete and the walls and the floors <coughs> are all the proper dimensions and all the proper fittings and in the proper places. And thereby, our Aveda for Hashem for the Ebishter will be done Bishlemus and the mitzvahs that we do will be accepted and the tshuvas that we do will be accepted Bishlemus and that this days of the three weeks and nine days will be Yahavchuyah Meil Lesasin and Lesimcha and as they say in the Avteyra Tzim B'mishpati Pada B'shavah B'tzdaka we should see to add every day throughout these three weeks an extra coin to Tzedaka so that we can hasten the bringing of Mashiach in these three weeks.